Hello and welcome to the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Collis. And today is an interesting one because there are no support bands. Every band tonight is equally on the bill as the uh, headline. So touring together and performing tonight, we have Whitesnake, Foreigner and Europe. So today's show, it's a four-truck show. There's currently a group of elderly looking uh, super fans outside waiting to come in there's not that many like four or five of them and it's also chucking it down with rain and these poor <laughs> poor guys are just wearing their waterproofs and hoping they don't get pneumonia anyways i digress so inside the arena there's an interesting stage set up you have a thrust stage so You've got a little bit that comes out, and then they've got a uh, catwalk section on top of the on in front of the in front of the thrust. So the little walkway onto the uh, catwalk section is one stage block wide, and the actual thrust section is the actual catwalk part of the thrust section is two stage blocks wide. So you've got a nice little bit coming out, but to be honest. This isn't the kind of audience that you'd have people coming right up to the close to the uh, thrust. The mojo barrier is going to be in the way. So, yeah, it's quite pointless. But at the end of the day, it's an old school 80s uh, rock band. So, on stage, you have three lighting bars LX1, LX2, LX3, with all with LED strobe and flood units. You have LED. Uh, wash units you have some mold phases and on LX2 and LX3 you've got some LED profile units as well then coming away coming from the stage you have what's called a feeder truss where you've got all the cable ones come out so basically it basically is a support truss to stop the cables from sagging down keeps the cables up nice and tight so being fed by the feeder truss is a truss that's just outside the mixer area with some front of house robo spots and a couple of other uh, smaller LED wash units. Why have they done that? Well they just wanted the beam angle I suppose. They didn't want it tight, they wanted it, they wanted the uh, robo spots nice at a nice low angle so it wasn't just too tight. Also upstage you have a video wall which I'm not sure if it's a translucent screen, probably not, but you never know. I mean, there would be no point to it because it's only a small screen and this is going to be a show which is full of flash and trash to keep it fully old school, but I'll go into that later on. Sound wise, you have a line array, one wide, either side of the stage and, and 10 deep. And you have a smaller line array set 45 degrees, a little bit further back for the surround sound effect. And they've also flown three giant subs. And looking by the gear that's on the floor, they are going to have some subs stage left and stage right. And possibly some in between. And probably some just in front of the stage as well. But I'll keep you updated on that. Also, Stage left and stage right, you've got some rear projection screens. They have two position, camera positions in the mixer area, so they can get the uh, close-ups on stage. 
So now we've had a little look at what's going on down on the floor. Let's take a look at some of the background between the bands. We'll be back after this. So not only does Master X Media have a series of podcasts, but we also have a series of books. The first book is actually two books, it's volume one and volume two, of a tribute to working at sea. The best fiction is based on truth. This is a compilation of short stories, rants and poems loosely based on the author's experience at working on a cruise ship. Some of these stories are based on actual events but highly exaggerated, whilst other stories are pure fiction. The title of the book A Tribute To is fitting with the tone of the book because, like a tribute act, it is a blatant altered reality where you can enjoy it knowing it's not quite the truth. There are things of alcoholism which used to be highly prevalent within workers in the cruise industry, as well as stories with a sexual nature. So sit down, relax and enjoy the ride of A Tribute to Working at Sea Volumes 1 and 2. All of these books are available on Amazon and are available in paperback and on Kindle. And the links for all these books are in the description below. And we're back. So Whitesnake are a hard rock band formed in London in 1978. The group was originally put together as the backing band for singer David Coverdale who had recently left Deep Purple. Though the band quickly developed into their own entity, Coverdale is the only constant member, member throughout their history. Whitesnake enjoyed much success in the UK, Europe and Japan through their early years. Their albums Ready and Willing, Come and Get It and Saints and Sinners all reached the top 10 on the UK albums chart by the mid 1980s. However, Coverdale had set his sights on breaking through in North America, where Whitesnake remained largely unknown. With the backing of American label Geffen Records, Whitesnake released their eponymous album in 1987, which became their biggest success to date, selling over 8 million copies in the US and spawning the hit singles Here I Go Again and Is This Love. Whitesnake also adopted a more contemporary look akin to the Los Angeles glam metal scene. After releasing Slip of the Tongue in 1989, Coverdale decided to put Whitesnake on hold and take a break from the music industry. Aside from a few short-lived reunions in the 1990s, Whitesnake remained mostly inactive until 2003, when Coverdale put together a new lineup to celebrate the band's 25th anniversary. Since then, Whitesnake have released four more studio albums and toured extensively around the world. White Snake's earlier sound has been characterised by critics as blues rock, but by the mid-1980s the band slowly began moving towards a more commercially accessible hard rock style. Topics such as love and sex are common in White Snake lyrics, which have been criticised for their excessive use of sexual innuendos and double and double entendres. White Snake have been nominated for several awards during their career, including Best British Group at the 1988 Brit Awards. They have also been featured on lists of the greatest hard rock bands of all time by several media outlets. While their songs and albums have appeared on many best of lists by outlets such as VH1 and Rolling Stone. So the current members are David Coverdale on lead vocals 1978 to 1990, the 1994 to 1997 and 2003 to present. Tommy Aldridge on drums. Reb 
Beach on guitars and backing vocals. Joel Hoekstra on guitar is backing vocal. Michael Lupi on keyboards, backing vocals. Dino Jeslick on keyboards, guitar and backing vocals. And Tanya O'Callaghan on bass. And their discography is Trouble in 1978, Love Hunter in 1979, Ready and Wedding in 1980, Come and Get It in 1981, Saints and Sinners in 1982, Slide Us In in 1984, White Snake in 1987, The Slip of the Tongue in 1989, Restless Heart in 1997, Good To Be Bad in 2008, Forevermore in 2011, The Purple Album in 2015, and Fresh Blood in 2019. Right, so let's move on to the next band. We'll be back after this. Anthology of Rage by Paul Collis from Musterix Media. Anthology of Rage is split into four distinct sections. Each section was originally supposed to become a book in their own rights, but unfortunately the author never got round to finishing each project. He did feel though that these pieces of work were too good just to be forgotten about on his hard drive and decided to put them all together in this anthology. Section 1 is a continuation of a tribute to Working at Sea, which with the last seven short stories written from the collection that didn't quite make volume 1 and 2, but were too good to be left unpublished. Section 2 Not quite short stories, but more rants that could be seen to be short stories about Christmas. Section 3 Monologues from the twisted mind of the author. And Section 4 are poems based on the life experiences of the author. So a nice little eclectic mix of short stories and poems. Very interesting read. And if you like anger, this is a book for you. This book is available on paperback, hardback, and ebook format on Amazon. And we're back. So Foreigner is a British American rock band originally formed in New York City in 1976 by veteran British guitarist and songwriter Nick, uh, Mick Jones and fellow Briton and ex and ex King Crimson member Ian McDonald, along with American vocalist Lou Graham. Jones came up with the band's name as he, McDonald, and Dennis Elliott were British, whereas Graham, Al Greenwood, and Ed Gaglardi were American. You got the current members, so Mick Jones, Jeff Pilson, Kelly Hansen, Michael Bluestein, Chris Fraser, Bruce Watson, and Louis Moldano. And the past members are Tom Gimble, Lou Graham, Al Greenwood, Ian McDonald, Dennis Elliott, Ed Gaglardi, Rick Wills, Johnny Edwards, Bruce Turgan, and Jason Bonham. In 1977, Foreigner released its self-titled debut album, the first of four straight albums to be certified at least five times platinum in the US. Foreign peaked at number four in on the US album chart and the top ten in Canada and Australia, whilst yielding two top ten hits in North America. Feels like the feels like the first time and cold as ice. The 1978 follow-up Double Vision was even more successful, peaking at number three in in North America with two hit singles Hot Blooded and number three hit in both counties and the title track a US number two and Canadian number seven. Foreigners' third album Head Games 1979 went to number five in North America producing two top 20 singles, including its title track. Reduced to a quartet, the album 4 
1981 hit number one for 10 weeks in the US and number two in Canada whilst becoming Foreigner's breakthrough album outside of North America going top five in the UK, Germany and Australia. Three, three of four's singles were hits, Urgent reached number one in Canada and on the new, and on the new US rock tracks chart rose, rose to number four on the US Hot 100 and became the first top 15 hit in Germany. The ballad Waiting for a Girl Like You peaked at number two in both the US for a record 10 weeks and Canada topped the US rock tracks chart and became their first top 10 hit in the UK and Australia and Jukebox Hero reached number three on rock tracks charts and and the top 30 on the Hot 100. In 1982 Foreigner released its first greatest hits album Records which has gone to sell gone on to sell 7 million copies in the US. In 1984, Fauna had its biggest hit single, the anthem ballad I Want to Know Where Love Is, which topped the US, UK, Canadian and Australian charts, whilst hitting number 3 in Germany and a top 10 in numerous other countries. Its source album, Agent Provocateur, was the band's most successful in the UK, Germany and some other countries in Europe, where it peaked at number 1, and in Australia, where it peaked at number 3, whilst making the top 5 in the US and Canada. After the break, Fauna released Inside Information in 1987, which despite the number 6 US and Australian hit, Say You Will, which also rose to number 1 on the US Rock Tracks chart, and the number 5 US hit, I Don't Want to Live Without You, which also reached number one in the US Adult Contemporary Chart, had a large sca- large sales drop-off, only hitting the top 10 in a few European countries, with a number 15 peak in the US. The band's most recent album's Unusual Heart in 1991, without Graham, who departed due to the band's shift towards the use of synthesizers, Mr. Moonlight 1994, with Graham, back on vocals and can't slow down in 2009. Once again, without Graham, were not major sellers. The highest chart position were obtained in Germany, where the last album peaked at number 16. Foreigner is one of the world's best-selling bands of all time, with record sales of more than 80 million records, including 37.5 million in the US. Leader Mick James has been, for many years, the only founding member still involved. So here's their discography. Foreigner in 1977, Double Vision in 1978, Head Games in 1979, Four in 1981, Agent Provocateur in 1984, Inside Information in 1987, Unusual Heat in 1991, Mr. Moonlight in in 1994, and Can't Slow Down in 2009. Okay, so now we've heard a little bit of Foreigner, let's get on with Europe. We'll be back after this. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Master X Media presents Lord of the Memes, Bad Dog, Farmer Frank's Filthy Fucking Farm, and Bonnie Bouncing Baby Bastards. All three of these books are meme books, and they come up with some pretty brutal and hilarious memes, which are definitely not for children or the easily offended. These are ideal gifts for Secret Santa, Father's Day, or even birthday presents for the fun loving man so why not take a chance and make his day when he gets to read a lot of the memes meme book all three books are available on kindle hardback and paperback on amazon 
And we're back. So Europe is a Swedish rock band formed in Upland's Varsby in 1979 by frontman Jerry Tempest, guitarist John Norum, bassist Peter Olsen and drummer Tony Reno. They obtained a major breakthrough in Sweden in 1982 by winning the televised competition Rock SM, Swedish Rock Championships. It was the first time this competition was held and Europe became a larger success than the competition itself. So current members are Jerry Tempest, John Norum, John Levine, Mick McKelly, Ian Holland, past members Peter Olsen, Peter Olsen, Tony Reno, Marcel Jacob and Key Marcello. Since their formation, Europe has released 11 studio albums, three live albums, three compilations and 24 music videos. Europe rose to international fame in the 1980s with their third album in 1986, The Final Countdown. Europe has sold 10 million albums worldwide. The band has had two top 20 albums on the Billboard 200 charts, The Final Countdown and Out of This World, and three top 30 singles on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. The Final Countdown, Rock the Night and Carry which really, which reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Europe went on hiatus in 1992, reunited temporarily for a one-off performance in Stockholm on New Year's Eve in 1999 and announced a final reunion in 2003. Since then the band has released six albums, Start From The Dark in 2004, Secret Society in 2006, Last Look At Eden in 2009, Bag Of Bones in 2012, War of Kings in 2015 and Walk the Earth in 2017. Europe gained new attention in the US after being featured in the Geico cable television commercial campaign during 2015 to 2016. The band is mainly influenced by White Snake, Deep Purple, Rainbow, Led Zeppelin, Thin Lizzy, UFO, and Michael Skeener group. So their studio albums are Europe in 1983, Wings of Tomorrow in 1984. The Final Countdown in 1986, Out of This World in 1988, Prisoners in Paradise in 1991, Start from the Dark in 2004, Secret Society in 2006, Last Look at Eden in 2009, Bag of Bones in 2012, War of Kings in 2015, and Walk the Earth in 2017. Now we've had all three headliner acts of this special, special show. We're going to take a look back at the stage and how the build is going. We'll be back after this. The War of Carnarvon Crescent by Paul Collis from Master X Major. When a neighbourhood dispute explodes into an all-out war. So Chaz Bruford, his wife Ellie and their young daughter Aurora move into Carnarvon Crescent. They soon become aware of the troublesome next-door neighbour who makes a point of living in her house for over 50 years. From the moment Chaz arrived and began to unload his new neighbour takes an instant disliking to him and she goes out of her way to make Chaz and his family feel unwelcome. The animosity quickly spirals out of control from both parties and the mutual respect gets lowered right into the gutter from the outset. Chaz comes to realise that this is not just any war, it is a neighbourhood war to end all wars. This book is available to buy on Amazon and this book is available on hardback paperback and kindle this book is pure fiction and should not be used as a user manual 
and we're back so a quick update so all the uh, trusses are now the correct height all the feeder trusses are up at the correct height and they have these ladder trusses built stage left and stage right on the upside on the upstage sections and these ladder trusses have just a handful of uh, moving light profiles which are led units and that's it nothing particularly special or out of the ordinary on there oh actually they've also got some mold phases on there as well so we shall see what it looks like in a bit they've finished building the mojo around the mixer and from what i've been told they've got different sound engineers for the different bands and i'm not sure if they're sharing the lighting desk that i need to have a closer look at later on and they're currently building the mojo around the main part of the stage leaving a gap on stage left to fork on the uh, band risers for one of the other bands currently you have the band risers built and set up for white snake and they've done a line check on these specific risers which are all which are also on wheels so what they'll end up doing is once they finish doing what they're doing with white snake set up they'll push it back drape it over and then the next set of risers will go on for whichever band is getting set up next but i'll get a running order in a bit once i've done some more bits and bobs a tribute to men that hate their jobs is a brutal but witty portrayal of working a job you hate in this podcast there are themes explored in which happy workers simply wouldn't understand unless they listen to these cautionary tales from a man that lost his ideal job because of the global pandemic. Be warned that this podcast contains strong offensive language that some listeners may not want to hear. In addition, this podcast is definitely not recommended for younger audiences. The links for this is in the description below. And we're back. Well, Europe's just on their set, and um, their intro had a bit of a folky kind of intro with uh, a bit of flute in there and some real heavy ethnic drums. It was brilliant. Loved it. <laughs> loud. Very, very loud. And um, then the lights just struck on at the top of, at the top of their uh, actual set. So they'd been, they'd come on into position in darkness, and yeah, they managed to electrify the crowd instantly as soon as they started, and it was great to see that. Now, lighting-wise, it's kept very basic, but basic in the sense of they replicated the 1980s. So the moving lights, the um, washers, were uh, positioned as though they were parkans, and when I. You know the uh, if you if you look at an old school music video or an old school show like 80s 1980s BBC's Top of the Pops, you'll see bank after bank after bank of these flashing coloured lights. Those are Parkans, par 64s, and they just lit their show predominantly as though it was a 1980s uh, rock gig. Which, to be fair, it's what they are. You know that was their heyday and. They replicated that with modern technology in the best way possible. And the next thing they did with the lighting, um, any uh, LED profiles that they used, 
they had gobo breakups in there and they were used to emphasize uh, stabby parts of the song along with the strobe stro the led strobe and flood units and that looked really good actually really good brought it back home to uh, the 80s with a modern twist right with the uh, lack of space on the stage because of because uh, <laughs> having three bands preset takes up a hell of a lot of space Europe were stuck on the extreme downstage section of the stage so you had the um, lead guitar stage left you had the bass guitar stage right you had the drums center stage and the lead singer he was walking up and down the thrust along the thrust and he traveled the whole of the stage and he used as much of the little bit of space, uh, stage that he had to full effect it was great to see stuff like that it was really great to see it now sound wise it all depends on how you define your sound now you with uh, Europe they didn't get the uh, clarity of 22 karat gold yeah they didn't have that standard but they went for noise and metal distortions over uh, clarity so, but then again you don't always want clarity you want noise and noise is what the audience got and it was good noise it wasn't it wasn't un it wasn't unnecessarily loud noise but it was good uh, it was good heavy rock noise and that is what you want from a group like Europe now how was their performance well the band themselves they were brilliant it's as though they never lost a thing their heyday may have uh, long been gone but they had not lost a damn thing whatsoever performance wise full of energy the audience were lapping it up and after every song, every song without fail, there was a low, there was massive screams and cheers because Europe were, they were rocking that audience. I mean, I mean, they were completely rocking the audience. Now, unfortunately, most of the audience are a bit beyond being in a circle pit and whatnot, but they were headbanging. And when you got a lot of older people headbanging, it was it was a good sight to see. Definitely a good sight to see. <laughs> Now I'm in. I'm about to touch my 40s, and uh, Europe were big when my dad was in his 20s. So the average age here is what 55 to 60 year olds, and they're loving it. They were totally, totally loving it. But yeah, circle pitting is just completely <laughs> beyond this audience. Anyways, I digress. So in conclusion, Europe were a force of nature acting as a warm-up even though they weren't a warm-up they were equally pegged with everyone else that was performing tonight and boy did they warm up the crowd everyone loved them they're really up and going for uh for the next band which was foreigner and we get on to that when we come back after this 30 years since is a sci-fi story podcast which is full of dramatical moments and a bit of gratuitous violence the first series was originally done in first person so it, the character is just telling a monologue and then the second series and onwards became more third person so it was more of an in-depth story and uh, you have all the characters actually interacting with each other. Great set of sci-fi stories. So 30 years after an alien invasion which uh, the humans lost and the first 
story arc is now over. Though we've got plenty more story arcs left to tell from the land of 30 years since. So why not check it out? The links are in the description below. And we're back. So with Foreigner, their intro music was uh, going was going whilst I was in complete darkness and then they walked on and as I walked on there was an animated logo on the main screen and and once the, they once Foreigner walked on they had a static logo the lights came up as they uh, came on and I did not expect this to happen <laughs> you had the lead singer he was standing on the uh, top of the riser he jumped down grabbed his microphone stand started spinning it around in the air did a kung fu kick as high as he could then darted out to uh, the sort of far end of the uh, thrust section of the stage then uh, zoomed all the way down to stage left and then to stage right come back to the center stage and started singing what an opener I have to say that was brilliant <laughs> throughout the whole of the uh, show the band were animated they were going from stage left to stage right going down to the thrust because all their guitars were uh, done wirelessly so they could go anywhere on stage and they were having a fun time being you know moving up and down interacting with each other and uh, as was as was the singer he'd go up onto the band riser where and then he'd come back down go stage left with the guitarist go stage right with the bassist and the rhythm guitarist and they were constantly on the go Full of energy, absolutely full of energy. Now, how is the, how did they start off? Well, now how were they positioned? Well, I can only tell you how they started off because uh, by uh, the second or third song, you lost track of who was where. <laughs> right, so on the riser, stage left you had the drums, and stage right you had the uh, keys. You then had stage left, downstage left, you had the uh, the rhythm guitar, centre stage you had the uh, lead guitar and stage right you had the bass guitar and you had the singer on the thrust and then from that point onwards everyone was everywhere apart from obviously the uh, drummer and the keys player although there was one point in the show where the keys player left his uh, bandstand and came down <laughs> and uh, came down the riser and onto the thrust with a keytar Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen someone with a keytar and what a load of fun that looked. Yeah, <laughs> amazing piece of equipment and it's such an 80s thing to do. Loved it, absolutely loved it. Lighting wise, they went for uh, modern lighting and when I say with the modern design, it was uh, more flash and trash as well as artistic. They went for full... Uh, coverage of the stage all the uh, all the beams were narrow uh, were narrow f narrowly focused making shapes all over the lighting rig and in the air from the uh, floor units to the top units and every cut and every wash was a complementary color so you had an orange and a yellow you had purple you had green and that's how it kind of worked now they had some of the LED strobe floods and they're not maps but then again you don't need to map them for a show like this there's no there's no need for that at the end of the day it was good as it was 
and throughout the whole show the LED screen went from a visualization into the static logo and the static logo predominantly came up when they were uh, in a talk state between songs which didn't last for long actually now, uh, sound wise you had the uh, 22 karat clarity and it was great to hear it it wasn't offensively loud it was loud though but not offensively loud and you could hear every distinction between both uh, guitars and the bass guitar as well as the keys and the drums and the vocals throughout 22 karat clarity and that's exactly what you'd expect from a band like this now I can't make comparisons to uh, Europe's sound engineer because at the end of the day they've all got their own different sound engineers for each band and that's just how it is it's their prerogative and that's the way how they uh, chose to rock with this one but there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong now how did the audience react to Foreigner they loved them from start to finish they were singing along they were cheering they were rocking out yet again no circle pits because most people were in the 50s in this audience you can see a lot of white and grey hair and even balding people so no you're not going to get many circle pits in an older person's show not going to happen <laughs> but what a show it was Foreigner definitely enjoyed being on that stage and it came across as such especially how they all interacted with each other as well as interacted with the with the audience they had such a strong performance and it's just a pity that you that you haven't seen much from a band like foreigner over here for quite some time and that's partly down to the pandemic but also i'd worked at this arena for quite some time and i've not come across them so it is about time that you had a gig like this and hey it reminded me of being a kid. We'll be back after this. The name's Vert, Percival Reginald Vert, and I run the PR Vert Detective Agency. The year is 2055, and the police have been defunded. So if you need a police investigation, the police will charge you a thousand big ones a day. Because of this, the government introduced the PI Act, where the private investigators can undercut the police so justice can become affordable. These are my case files. Percival Vert is no hero. He is a low-life scumbag and the full embodiment of how not to be a man. He cheats his way into getting work, he objectifies women and is quite a disgusting human being, if you can even call him that. Gumshoe is intended to poke fun at everyone that takes life too seriously and directly towel whips the modern day Puritans in the balls because they've forgotten the fact that when something isn't funny in real life, it's probably hilarious in the land of fiction. Come and listen to Gumshoe every Wednesday. The links are in the description below. And we're back, so Whitesnake had the Monkeys song My Generation as Robotrol. The overture faded down and then straight away the lights fired up and started scanning the audience with their uh, with all the uh, not all the lights that mind you it was the, all the profile units that were in a tight beam and they were scanning the audience whilst you had all the washers on a two-tone wash covering the rest of the stage you also had the LED strobe flood units those were all on static at, the, at that point in time and then they started flashing as it as the uh, as the intro built and then the band started up properly 
and yeah it was a good start although there was a slight hitch with the uh, vocals on the uh, sound where they were beneath the rest of the uh, when they were beneath the rest of the uh, band which was just uh, a little mishap and I'll put that down to uh, the recall of the uh, previous night's settings and it just wasn't tweaked just enough for today's venue but it wasn't long before it was brought under control it was well before the end of the first song and then when it was under control the sound became pretty good but I'll get onto that later on so lighting wise it was full of ballyhoo and what I mean by ballyhoo is that's the lights bouncing up and down in and out that's what we call ballyhoo and there was a shed load of flash and trash and that's basically everything flashes in time with the music it looks flashy, it looks trashy but in a good way hence the name flash and trash and throughout the entire show all the profile units they were all in the tightest and narrowest of beams possible just to give impact to uh, moments in the song because that's all they were used for to emphasize different points within the song all the wash units were used pretty much statically they would flash but they wouldn't really move they were there to just light and wash the stage with always it was always a two-tone wash so yellows and reds amber and magenta green and magenta so that's how it worked and the LED strobe and strobe floods were used to emphasize points of the songs as well in the same way as moving like beams were emphasizing parts of the song so were the LED strobe floods as well as the more phases so you could have three or four different emphasis points at the same at the same time all picking out completely different parts of the song and that's what actually happened the video screen at the back of the stage had a different image every song and when it came to the solo session section all the cameras got put onto the middle screen rather than the two outer screens and it just showed a big ma uh, massive close-up on everyone that was doing their solo when it was time for their solo section sound wise once again after the initial issue was resolved we had the 22 carats gold standard of sound clarity and it was amazing i loved that and it's such a shame when you just have a little mishap but for me it doesn't ruin it and it doesn't ruin it for anyone else just, just the picky people out there but i'm not that picky i'll just point out and i and i'll also give everyone the credit that they deserve when they correct it because that's what they're doing you know that they're doing it because they're professionals and that's what they do and that's exactly what this uh, excellent sound engineer did he made his corrections in that first song and yeah it's a it, yeah it's it's a kicker but sometimes it happens and he's probably kicking himself over that which he shouldn't do because he had a really good sound throughout the whole show other than that little mishap so how was white snake well on stage they owned that stage they were the gods of that stage and they were not giving that stage up for no one and damn right because they that was their stage whilst they was on and boy did they rock it they were lively throughout and you have to understand these guys are in their late 50s early 60s or even in one case i believe the drummer's in his 70s uh, i may be wrong on that one but he looks it compared to everyone else on, this, on that stage but anyways i digress they were loving it up they were living it up 
and every song that they did people were either singing along or giving a massive massive round of applause and rightly so because Whitesnake did incredibly well the audience loved them Whitesnake loved their audience and it was a massive mutual feeling between the audience and the artists on stage and I love seeing that because you actually see the mutual understanding as it unfolds and it's great to see stuff like that it really is if you've enjoyed today's podcast please hit like subscribe and share and if you haven't already done so why not check out more of our content from Muster X Media on our website that is www.musterxmedia.info and I shall catch you next time Bye for now.